Hey, good morning, everybody. You can grab seats, and uh, we're going to continue just to kind of focus on that song for a minute. That is, song has such a rich history. If, if that was the first time you've heard that song, uh, I want to give you some context if you've heard it before but may not fully understand the, the context of, of that. N- number one, that song um, is 278 years old and and that's that's pretty cool to know and just to consider that that we just participated and, and used a, a song uh, written 278 years ago so so we're just joining with a faith heritage that is so rich now if you if you googled advent or songs sung during the season of advent that would probably be the first one that would come up because it's written as a song of anticipation, a song of longing, as you hear within the lyric of that, a song of desiring um, for Christ to come. And that was, that was the case for the Israelites in the Old Testament. They were familiar with the prophecies, and so there was a strong sense of anticipation, of longing, of looking. And so that song gives voice, although it it wasn't written in their time, it was written centuries later. It gives voice to the plight of the Israelites. But just a peek behind the curtain of the author, who, very familiar hymn writer in his time in the 1700s, Charles Wesley, um, and contributed hundreds of songs to uh, the hymnal and to the uh, worship of the church. Uh, when he penned that, he was inspired really by two specific things. One was passage in Haggai that spoke to the desiring of the nations and um, the coming of Christ, but specifically in London and Great Britain at the time was just an elevated crisis of orphans and the need to care for them, provide for them. And if you're familiar in Louisville with the home of the innocents, we actually uh, partnered with them last year, made them the beneficiary of our Christmas collection. In the 1700s, they were developing places like Home of the Innocents for these orphans. The unfortunate thing was they were still mistreating the orphans. And so the plight of the orphans in the 1700s in London and Great Britain was devastating. And Wesley was um, bothered by that, was concerned about that. And as a writer, uh, creative often happens, you feel a need to write and create something that gives a voice to the current situation, the context that he was seeing and concerned about. And so that inspired part of, part of the writing just for those kids to have a sense of deliverance, of someone to bring them strength and consolation, um, which just simply means comfort that comes through Christ. And so whether it's the Israelites of the Old Testament, the orphans of the 1700s, and today it still goes on, widow, the widow who recently lost their spouse, either this Christmas or past Christmases, and Christmas is the anniversary of that, thus creating just a sense of grief and remembering that loss. Uh, The mom who maybe just recently miscarried, or a, a hundred other things that might make Christmas and the Christmas season difficult and rob and steal a bit of the joy we wanna have, the celebration that we wanna have, we realize that um, for some, for many, um, it's also very difficult. And in recent years here at OCC, we've 
just chosen to take a moment during a service in December, and we call it our Blue Christmas moment, um, just a representation, a metaphor for the feeling just of sadness, of grief, of depression that comes as a result of loss, of difficulty. And specifically, though, we, we want to take a moment to remember those who have passed um, from us this year among our, our body here, specifically at OCC, people we've been made aware of that have passed on and uh, or folks you, you know. So this will be just a representation ultimately of many, many more, but you're gonna see names on the screens and, and these are the ones, like I said, that we're, we're aware of who have passed. Um, and as those appear on the screen, we just invite you to remember and pray and uh, consider the difficulty of the season for some as a result of, of this. And just to kind of let this wash over us, I, I think one of the, when it comes to how God comforts and provides for us through his word, Psalm 23 is just one of those passages. You hear it often at funerals, but appropriate for this context this morning as well. So as the names continue, let me uh, read from Psalm 23. It says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are grateful for this moment to pause and remember and acknowledge hard times even at Christmas where, um, and we just see a lot of, about happiness, a lot of joy and celebration, but um, we also know that it's, it can be a very difficult season. We just want to share in that together, grieve together, um, encourage each other, and allow you to, to encourage us through words that David wrote, many more from, from your scriptures, and uh, ask for peace and ask for grace and good memories. And so we thank you for that. And we just thank you for the time we're going to share together now, digging into your word, continuing uh, to learn and grow together uh, during this season. We thank you for Jesus, our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for, for being with us today. We're in, we are in week two of a series called Waymaker. We started this last week with Anthony. He got us started. Um, today was actually, uh, Fitz was scheduled to be back up. As um, many of you know, he lost his mom recently and has been in Illinois um, grieving her and putting her to rest and all the things that, that come with that and very much a blue Christmas for the Fitz family. And so uh, just to give him a little bit more time, I jumped in today. He'll be back next week with uh, three sermons, okay, uh, to make up for lost time. He, he, uh, he'll have a great message for us this week. Before we um, dive in uh, to week two, though, um, just kind of a little levity here. Ron, would you mind joining me real quick on the platform? Would you come on, come on up uh, over here? Um, and you may have seen some other folks like Ron around the building today and been very confused or offended or some, I don't, you know, I don't know. Um, but I'm going to let, uh, where's the mic here, guys? Um, 
Well, there's not one. Um, so you've got a big voice. Will you explain yourself today? Yeah. In kids today, we're having pajamas and Pajamas and Pop-Tarts. Pajamas and Pop-Tarts. Pop-Tarts and PJs, that's what it really is. We're just doing that, and I just thought, you know, I'm just the biggest kid in the room. You're just a big kid. Okay, so so this is a kid's ministry thing. Kids were told they could wear their PJs, and so the volunteers decided to as well. Gotcha, okay. Everybody okay with that? We're good with that? Okay, thank thank you, Ron. Okay. I'd forgotten about it, and I saw uh, one of our facility guys, and I was like, what is, what is wrong with him, you know? And I was like, okay, all right, uh, now I remember. And in fact, I think that's going on all month, right? Yep. Not just today, but all month. So if you're looking for a reason to come to church in your PJs, just blame it on the kids, and it's all good, all right? Yeah, yeah, Walmart, they've got Batman PJs, okay, or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, also, uh, one other quick acknowledgement. We are, um, as you know, pretty much saddling the Jefferson County, Bullitt County line, right? Just to our south of Bullitt County. Um, some great high schools in both counties. My kids went to, to Mail, go Bulldogs. But unfortunately, if you're a Mail fan, fortunately, if you're a Bullitt East fan. We got any Bullitt East fans in the house today? A few. You know, wondering what that is. Bullies won their first football state championship, 6A with the big boys, upset. I'm going to say it. They upset the, the male Bulldogs last night, but um, congratulations to the Bullies Bull, Bull, uh, Chargers. Chargers, yes. Yeah, congratulations on that. Okay, let's get to it. Week two, Waymaker series. Last week, Anthony started us um, with the theme of promise keeper, Jesus fulfilling the promises um, uh, of the prophets of our Lord that he, that Jesus would come, uh, fulfilled every single one of those prophecies, a miracle um, in how um, he fulfilled that and brought hope and deliverance uh, to the people then and today. He is our future hope. So we not only looked back at his first arrival, but also the future hope of his coming again and his promise uh, to come once and for all for the church, and we look forward to that. Today, um, we're gonna look at the story of Mary and Joseph, very familiar uh, for a lot of us, but um, kind of peel back the faithfulness um, of their yes to God and what they were asked to do. So um, let's look at faith just for a moment, put this on the screen. The Bible says that, that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, and without it, it is impossible to please God. And I'm gonna leave that up there for the next few minutes because I want that to sink in. And even better, um, we have a notes app that we've introduced over the last several weeks that you can punch that in on. What we do is on the app, you have um, blanks. And so if it's yellow and underlined, that's, that's what you fill in. Just makes it a little bit more interactive for you. You can access by t- texting notes to the same number we use, 289-1387. Or um, many of you have already received our, our text this morning. Just click on the sermon notes or, or type in notes.okalonacc. All kinds of ways to get to it. But if you haven't already, that is a great tool. Um, I'm a big believer in writing things down if you wanna remember it. Um, but I'm assuming on most of the blank stairs, we'll just go without it. That's cool too, all right. It's all good. Um, if you are looking at your phone, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt that you're taking notes and not shopping, all right? Or on amazon.com, it gives you an excuse. Um, 
But yeah, faith, the, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen and without it, it's possible to please God. Uh, process that, let that sink in. And along with that, I want you to think a little bit about what the hardest thing uh, you've ever done or been asked to do is that required something more than just, yeah, sure, required some faith. It required um, stepping out, taking a, a little bit of risk. And, and just some, some ideas that may get, get your mind started because I really want you to, to answer this question in your head. What's that hardest thing uh, you've been asked to do? My, my wife's here today, and I believe the first thing she would say is public speaking. Like if, if I asked her to come up here and say a few words, first she would have to go vomit you know, and get herself together a little bit and still it'd be really, really hard, right? I mean, that's just, you know, one of those things. And for me, I mean, just the thought of public speaking makes you weak in the knees and a little nauseous, you know? It's just one of those things that'd be really hard to do. Um, for, for others, uh, going to the dentist maybe, you know, especially if you got some work they gotta get done. It's like, man, that's not really something I'm looking forward to or, or would be an easy yes for me. Um, Anybody remember the first time they, they jumped off the high dive? I mean, I can remember that so vividly. You had the, you had the low dive, which, you know, that was, that was all right, but, but going, climbing, climbing that long ladder up to the top, the long walk out to the edge, which, you know, the slower you went, it's like a lot of things, instead of ripping the band-aid, you go stand there for a minute. Well, you know, if you don't just jump right away, it's gonna be a long wait, and uh, you're standing on the edge of that, that diving board. But, you know, peer pressure's behind you, and the walk of shame, if you turn around and, and go down that ladder, man, you're never going to outlive that. Uh, and so you take the plunge, man, and, and then, yeah, you, you make it or, or you'll never do that again, you know, one or the other. Um, but what about uh, listening? Get a little bit more uh, serious here. You know, somebody says, hey, I need you to listen. It sounds easy, but man, it's hard to do sometimes, isn't it? Especially on who's doing the talking. Uh, or, or who's doing the directing um, and whether there's any ounce of respect or trust there and, and they ask you to, to listen. Parents, we ask our kids to listen a lot. They need to, you know, but that's, that's a hard thing to do. Um, in... Um, if you're, uh, if you're in an overseeing role or just, just in you know, a situation where you find yourself having to confront a difficult situation or that difficult person, you know, it's just gonna be one of those conversations that's gonna be hard, um, you know, and, and you're, you're hesitant to, to do that or, or forgive somebody. That's hard to do sometimes. Um, or ask for forgiveness. Maybe even harder to say, acknowledge, I'm in the wrong here, um, and acknowledge that. And, and ultimately, trust. You know, maybe, maybe one of the hardest things to do, again, is, is trust. And that's what God asks us to do, right? Um, it's not a blind trust. It's an earned trust. Believe me, God has earned the right for us to trust him. And yet, especially when it comes to, like, the unseen or the unknown um, how's this gonna work out? Um, God asked us to trust, and that's exactly uh, where we found Mary and Joseph. So, so how, about, how about this, just to kind of put herself in their shoes for a minute. Imagine, ladies, you're an unwed teenage girl living in the Middle East, the culture of the Middle East, and, you, and you've been told by an angel, this mysterious being, that you're gonna become pregnant apparently by the Holy Spirit, who? And the child is God himself. And, and Mary, I'm gonna need you to carry this God child full term, deliver him outdoors in a stable with a bunch of animals and a few shepherds around, and, and then I'm gonna need you to raise him until he's an adult, then watch him be arrested, beaten, crucified, and crucified because he told the truth. 
That, that was what God asked Mary to do. Or you're Joseph and you're this young man engaged or they use the word betrothed, betrothed, betrothed back then, which meant engaged to a young teenage girl who next thing you know is pregnant and you're like, what's the deal? Because remember, Mary came, uh, was approached by an angel initially with all the, here's Joseph, Mary's pregnant. He doesn't know anything yet. All he knows is my fiance is pregnant and I'm not the dad. That's what Joseph knew for a moment. That was it. Those were the facts. But Joseph's a nice guy and, and so you don't publicly disgrace Mary, but you, you set out to end the engagement quietly to move on. Then an angel comes and tells you, not so fast. Here's, here's what's gonna happen, Joseph. You're gonna marry Mary because she is carrying the son of God in her womb who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph's like, what? I didn't say that, but he had to have been like, what? Um, and, and so let me read the more formal accounts um, because there's so much here and I, and I want us to just experience this again in its fuller form. Matthew one, this is Joseph's account. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly but After he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Now Mary's encounter from Luke 1. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God and you will conceive and give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word be to me, may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Two observations here real quick and Um, One is just stepping back again, um, wonder and awe um, for me comes from that. This, the mystery, uh, the the wonder, that God is considering this, that God is executing this plan of entering uh, uh, into this world. 
um, in such an unexpected way. Um, And then most importantly, and what we want to look at today is the faith of Mary and Joseph. And that is just screams in the last section of each of these. Number one with, with Joseph, if we go back to verse 24, when Joseph woke up, so the angel said, here's what's gonna happen. Joseph wakes up, two words, he did. He did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, or in other words, what God had asked him to do. Mary, now I'm not saying anything other than observing Mary ask a question first. <laughs> um, she needed a little detail. Give, give me something. How, how's this gonna be? Um, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin. Great question, right? Uh, fair question. But her ultimate response, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. What do we draw from that? Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Not, hang on. I'll let you know in 24 hours. Give me a week. Give me, yes, Lord. Immediate obedience, and we'll talk about that more. Even better, um, um, Joseph, just, you know, yes, let's go. Let's do it. Mary, question, but then even better in her response, and, and as a somewhat of a creative musician, I, I love this, Mary wrote a song. Mary expressed herself in a poem, in a lyric, in a song um, that, that is just profound. When, when I, over the years as a worship leader, looked for inspiration in worship leading or, you know, what's worship look like um, when God calls us uh, to something, what, what's our response look like? It doesn't get much better than this. My soul My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one, the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Worship, worship. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arms. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. So, Mary and Joseph, we understand the ask. We understand now what God has called them in to do. They generally have this idea, okay, um, following obedience. But, but what does that require? What does that faith behind that yes, what does that require? Uh, four things, real quick. Number one, time and patience. Something we um, don't tend to have a lot of today, right? Uh, but, but what I mean by this, when I talk about time and patience, is that faith is a journey. The faith of Mary and Joseph requires a willingness to walk day by day with Christ in which the will of the Father unfolds. Not all at once, rarely if ever, right? Even with his son Christ, day by day, the will of the Father unfolding. And Mary and Joseph were committing to a lifelong journey. This wasn't a moment, this wasn't a nine-month thing, it wasn't just deliver this baby. This was a lifelong journey that would require everything. Sound familiar? Jesus calls for everything. It's an all or nothing kind of faith. Much is left to speculate regarding did Mary really know? You know the old song, Mary, did you know? 
yes and no, I think is the answer to that. Um, God did suggest, or God did reveal the identity of the child to Mary and to Joseph. They were, but they were yet to grasp, I believe, the implications and struggle of the journey they were beginning. It was only just the beginning, but they were in it for life. They were willing. Isaiah 40, and they were willing because, do you not know, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God. They knew that, the creator of the ends of the earth. He's not gonna grow weary. He's not gonna grow tired, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to Mary and Joseph and to you and me when we're weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not grow faint. It's not always a sprint. It's not always just a, a walk, but it is sometimes even a stroll. But day by day, we stay committed. So faith requires time and patience. But what we just looked at, it requires obedience and submission. A simple yes. Again, we see this in Mary's and Joseph's response. Immediate obedient, with, that, with the exception of just one question, an immediate response of yes. They were obedient to the journey God divinely appointed to fulfill the prophecy from long ago, and they had faith that God would provide for them along the journey when they arrived in Bethlehem. Second John, John 6, and this is love that we walk in obedience to his commands. Faith also requires work. God does his part, but we gotta do ours. And it's important to understand that Mary and Joseph, they they didn't hunker down and hide. They didn't lock the door and wait. They were oriented towards action, right out of the gate, oriented towards action. They were compelled to do the will of the Father. It's one thing to agree. We can usually find agreement on a lot of things, but it's another thing to act. And Mary and Joseph understood and believed that God was the way maker. That's our series, that's our song. He is the way maker, and they were the way followers. And it's important to make that distinction. God makes the way, we follow. And that while God was making a way, it was their job to walk, step by step, day by day. James 1.22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves, do what it says. James 1, 14 through 17, prior to that, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is what? Some of you know it, it's dead. Not my words, God's words. Faith without works is dead. Finally, faith requires vision and anticipation. I love this. Mary and Joseph, part of a community. They were part of a community that was desperately anticipating a deliverer, and that is so key. They were looking for someone who would rescue them from centuries of hardship due to their sin and due to their rebellion as a nation and the persecution of their enemies. They were devout Jews and and they were well-versed in the prophecies of the coming Messiah. And so while they didn't have a full idea that they would play such a significant role in his arrival, I doubt that they anticipated that. They recognized him when he came because they were looking 
for him. Their faith compelled them to be alert and to anticipate his arrival even before they were approached by an angel. So they, along with just a few others, it's the reality, just a few others that night were eyewitnesses to a miracle, a mystery, the arrival of God in the flesh. And they were there in that moment and believed who this child was because of their faith. But for those not looking, it was just another night. It was just another day in Bethlehem. John 1, verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the, though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Back in my uh, college years, uh, in early days in ministry, I was highly influenced by the writings of a guy named Max Lucado. Um, this is one of his books called God Came Near. And uh, you may be familiar with him and his writings. Max has a gift of framing of creating word pictures about the life of Christ that are striking and unique and even uncomfortable. Um, One of the things the incarnation causes, should cause in us is to wrap our head, or attempt to wrap our head around God in the flesh. Um, And while we must preserve the respect and dignity and holiness of who God is, we can't escape the reality that he was flesh and he was a baby and all that came with that. And Max just does an amazing job of writing about that, articulating that. And um, for the next few minutes, I just, if we could go back to Bethlehem, you know, um, uh, I'm, I'm a sci-fi goofball and, you know, the possibility of a time machine. How cool would that, I mean, that'd be not so good, but good um, to be able to go back to Bethlehem and um, be an eyewitness Maybe, you know, uh, what, what would we see? Would we, would we see? Would we notice? Um, or would we just be about our business? Um, this is chapter one. If you'll just bear with me, I'm gonna read Max's writings just to take us there. And it's important for us to go there for a few minutes, okay? So join me. The noise and the bustle began earlier than usual in the village. As night gave way to dawn, people were... Already on the streets, vendors were positioning themselves on the corners of the most heavily traveled avenues. Store owners were unlocking the doors to their shops. Children were awakened by the excited barking of the street dogs and the complaints of donkeys pulling carts. The owner of the inn had awakened earlier than most in the town. After all, the inn was full, all the beds taken. Every available mat or blanket had been put to use. Soon, all the customers would be stirring and there would be a lot of work to do. One's imagination is kindled thinking about the conversation of the innkeeper and his family at the breakfast table. Did anyone mention the arrival of the young couple the night before? Did anyone ask about their welfare? Did anyone comment on the pregnancy of the girl on the donkey? Perhaps, perhaps someone raised the subject, but at best it was raised, not discussed. There was nothing that that novel about them. They were possibly one of several families turned away that night. Besides, who had time to talk about them when there was so much excitement in the air. Augustus did the economy of Bethlehem a favor when he decreed that a census should be taken. Who could remember when such commerce had hit the village? 
Now it is doubtful that anyone mentioned the couple's arrival or wondered about the condition of the girl. They were just too busy. The day was upon them, the day's bread had to be made, the morning's chores had to be done. There was too much to do to imagine that the impossible had occurred. God had entered the world as a baby. Yet some, yet were, were someone to chance upon the sheep stable on the outskirts of Bethlehem that morning, what a peculiar scene they would behold. The stable stinks like all stables do, the stench of urine, dung, and, and sheep reeks pungently in the air, the, the ground is hard, the hay scarce, cobwebs cling to the ceiling, and a mouse scurries across the dirt floor. Uh, a more lowly place of birth could not exist. Off to one side sit a, a group of shepherds. They sit silently on the floor, perhaps perplexed, perhaps in awe, no doubt in amazement. Their night watch had been interrupted by an explosion of light from heaven and a symphony of angels. God goes to those who have time to hear him. So on this cloudless night, he went to simple shepherds. Near the young mother sits the weary father. If anyone is dozing, he is. He can't remember the last time anyone, he can't remember the last time he sat down. And, and now that the excitement has subsided a bit, now that, that Mary and the baby are comfortable, he leans against the wall of the stable and feels his eyes grow heavy. He still hasn't figured it all out. The mystery of the event puzzles him, but, but he hasn't the energy to wrestle with the questions. What's important is that the baby is fine and that Mary is safe. As sleep comes, he remembers the name the angel told him to use, Jesus. We will call him Jesus. Wide awake is Mary. My, how young she looks. Her head rests on the soft leather of Joseph's saddle. The pain has been eclipsed by wonder. She looks into the face of the baby, her son, her Lord, his majesty. At this point in history, the human being who best understands who God is and what he is doing is a, a teenage girl in a smelly stable. She can't take her eyes off him. Somehow, Mary knows she is holding God. So this is he. She remembers the words of the angel. His kingdom will never end. He looks like anything but a king. His face is prunish and red. His cry, though strong and healthy, is still the helpless and piercing cry of a baby. He is absolutely dependent upon Mary for his well-being. Majesty in the midst of the mundane. Holiness in the filth of sheep and manure and sweat divinity entering the world on the floor of a stable through the womb of a teenager in the presence of a carpenter. She touches the face of the infant God. How long was your journey? This baby had overlooked the universe. These rags keeping him warm where the robes of eternity, his golden throne room had been abandoned in favor of a dirty sheep pen and worshiping angels had been replaced with a kind but bewildered shepherds. Meanwhile, the, the city hums. Merchants are unaware that God has visited their planet. The innkeeper would never believe that he had just sent God into the cold. And the people would scoff at anyone who told them the Messiah lay in the arms of a teenager on the outskirts of their village. They were all too busy to consider the possibility. And those who missed his majesty's arrival that night missed it, not because of evil acts or, or malice. Now they, they missed it because they simply weren't looking. Little has changed in the last 2,000 years, hasn't it? So my challenge for us today, 
what we've learned from Mary and Joseph is our faith, when it's demonstrated, it requires time, a willingness to commit the time, patience and perseverance day after day to see how God's will is gonna unfold and finish what he started in you, finish what he started in me, finish what he started in Mary and Joseph. It requires obedience, just the simple yes, Lord. Just yes, let's go. The work to put in, a faith that is action-oriented, a belief in God and his plan that is so strong that you're willing to take the perceived risk. And I say perceived risk because with God on our side, the God of the universe who created everything and you and me behind us, before us, where's the risk in that? And then vision, eyes that are wide open to the hand of God and a sense of anticipation that drives us forward even when it's hard, even in the valley, we will climb because he's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's the promise keeper. He's the light in the darkness. Lord, we celebrate that. We acknowledge that. We need that. Reminder that truth. You go before us. You make a way. Help us to follow. Help us to walk, to run, to soar. As you are with us and for us. Thank you for Mary and Joseph and their faith demonstrated. And what we learned from that today. So raise us up as we sing, as we worship, as we honor your name and continue throughout this month to celebrate all that you are. We love you and we thank you and pray in Jesus' name, amen.